0: Hey, everybody. This is Gene Troyer. I'm the lead pastor of Restore Church. And what a pleasure it is to welcome you to our podcast. It's my hope that you will be marked by love and encouraged in your faith and inspired to become all God has created you to be. Now I invite you to lean in and enjoy the podcast. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad we're in the house this morning. You know, uh, when, we, when we recognize um, who we are in light of who God is, sometimes we feel, um, I feel, very small and very uh, incompetent to actually stand up here and uh, speak life and freedom over all of us. But that's what I'm charged with, and that's what I believe that, that God would have for us is that we would live in true life, that we would live in freedom, that we would live in the grace and mercy that He so generously just pours out. Why do I don't know if you've wondered, but if you're here, um, if you haven't been here before, or if you're new here, you'll note that um, every week, we work this moment in, into our worship experience where we pray. Like, specifically, like someone comes up, and this morning it was Brenda. She came up, and she led us in this moment of prayer. And those prayers are typically ones we're praying about things that have uh, been made known to us throughout the course of the week. We have a a text number that you can text us and say, I need prayer for this. And our team of prayers are diligently waiting for that request to come in and we begin praying as soon as it comes in. And this week it was like nonstop; It was nonstop, like just prayer request after prayer request. And it's such an honor to be on the praying end for all of you. It's really a great honor. Whenever we pray, whenever we list the things on our prayer, uh, uh, the things that have come in during the week, you'll note that healing for this, healing for that, healing is the primary thing that we need. We need healing in relationships. We need healing in our, in our faith. We need healing in our bodies. We pray that way because we believe that Jesus is about the transformation of our lives. He is about the restoration of all things, including our physical and our spiritual health. Healing seems so out of our grasp sometimes. We pray and we pray and we pray. And the end result is that somebody still dies. The end result is that somebody still dies is sick, and they never get healed, as far as we can tell. That's why living our lives and looking at life holistically with spiritual eyes, and that's not just some mumbo-jumbo word I'm using. I'm simply saying that God sees things differently than we do. And so we, with our limited knowledge, continue to press in and we keep asking for healing. We keep believing for healing. We keep believing that God's going to come through because you and I know that he does. You and I have all experienced moments where the big question mark in front of us didn't go away. But when we stood firmly, when we said, okay, Taylor, Prayed for our faith this morning. When we say, nope, I'm standing firm in my faith. God is for me, he is not against me. God is good, he wants all good things for me. We claim those promises and we stay at it. It's been the story of my life and I'm sure it's the story of your life as well. Well, the book of James is the one that we've been in for eleven weeks now. This is week number eleven. We're closing out, closing it out this morning, and um, as I as I study for this week, I I realized again that uh, you know the the uh, sandwich like if you I know I'm making you hungry already um, the sandwich model of giving feedback. Uh, if you're old enough, you know that uh, this is an old model. And um, as I read James again, it reminded me that he began with this. So if you manage people at all, and you got to have a hard feedback talk, this is how you're doing. The sandwich model is you start with something good, a behavior you want to keep, you want the person to keep, and then you have the behaviors that you want them to correct, and then you have the behaviors, you end the talk, the conversation, with behaviors you want them uh, to correct again. Right, so good, not so good, good. And you leave the talk. Hopefully, the person has heard everything you've said, and they apply what you're asking them to apply to their lives, and away you go. You've done your job. Well, James sort of did the same thing. He starts in chapter 1. Uh, he speaks uh, to the behaviors he wants us to keep. He wants us to be praying people. He wants us to, to have strong faith. And now here at the end, and then, by the way, uh, if you've been here, you know that he kind of slapped us around all the way through the book of James until now here at the end, he ends with this uh, note to those Jews. He started with the Jews that are are scattered abroad. And, of course, that includes, uh, even though we're not Jewish, most of us aren't Jewish, uh, we also are recipients of this letter. And uh, now he closes it out with another word of encouragement. And so it begs the question this morning as we dive into chapter 5. Chapter 5, verse uh, 13 is where we're going to start this morning. And I love uh, the word that Tyler brought us last weekend, did an amazing job. Um, We're going to talk about prayer. That's where James closes out this book. As he talks to us about prayer. So I'm curious, like I thought about like, should I ask how your prayer life is? And I thought, is prayer life, is that term just a thing that church people say? Prayer life? Life? And then I thought about, well, we ask each other about, well, maybe you don't. How's your love life? How's your home life? How's your prayer life? When, when we talk about prayer life, that's like, Okay, what do you do? Um, Do you meditate? Do you spend time praying diligently? Do you sort of pray as you go? I don't see a right or wrong way of doing this. I'm just asking for you to consider, how's your prayer life? Do you ever pray and think, um, no, I'm I'm praying for this to happen, and then we close our prayer with, uh, but, God, your will be done, not, not mine. Your will be done, not my will. Do you ever feel like you're giving God a, the ability to cop out on you? When you say, oh, I, I'm praying for this, but you know, you do what you will. Are you letting him off the hook? I wonder what kind of praying you do. When you pray, do you pray like as if you are talking to a genie in a bottle that's gonna grant three wishes for you? We don't say, dear God, I wish for this, this, and this. No, we use different words, probably. But I wonder what our heart alignment is in that moment. What kind of praying do you do? Is it like rubbing the, the, the belly of the Buddha and hoping that he gives you good luck? What kind of praying do you do? What's your praying like? As I reflected on last week's uh, scripture, I heard these words, be patient. Don't grumble. James says, stay the course, even in the middle of suffering, especially then. Let your character be revealed. Let your character guide the way. Let your character be strong and good and right. Let it carry the day. That's what I heard from last week. And so now we go to chapter 5, verse 13. And James continues. He says, are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. I don't think James is saying, eventually you should pray. His word is, you should pray. First things, not as a last resort. He says, are any of you happy? You should sing praises. When we gather like this, there's some of us that are sad. Some of us are happy, deliriously happy sometimes. Some of us are filled with great joy. Some of us need the peace of God to permeate every avenue, every aspect of our lives. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Are any of you sick? Oh, here we go. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you. You should call for the leaders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. You guys know we have anointing oil up here? We use it frequently when you come for prayer. Oil, um, what's up with oil? Like oil is like olive oil. Um, I thought about putting mortar, like 10W40 up here and see what happens. You can never hide that you've been anointed that, if that happened, right? It's sort of like the um, the coal residue that's used during the Easter season. Oil was very common in the ancient world. It was, it was used for medicinal purposes. Uh, it was used to anoint leaders. It was used uh, to heal wounds. And, um, and it is a, a symbol of the Holy Spirit. So, you know, um, it, is not, uh, it is not a stretch to say it is a sacrament of the church to say that like communion elements like bread and juice or wine Um, You could talk about water that's used for baptism. These are all common, common elements that have been turned into a holy moment. Water, bread, juice, or wine, oil. You know that the commonness, the common things can be made holy if God is invited into that space. That's why he looks at us and says, you are mine. You are holy. You are created in my image. You are, you are created to worship me. That's the way he can look at us. This week, I spent time with one of our own who is, um, for all intents and purposes, is um, fading from this life, and she's doing it really well. Um, you might know Jill; uh, she's doing it very well. And um, as I <clears throat> talk to her and brought the common bread, the juice, and at her request, sat with her and blessed, brought the blessing of Jesus to her through the bread, through the cup. It was really, like, when I started this journey of pastoring, I was like, whatever you do, uh, don't make me go talk to sick people. Don't make me go visit the hospital and especially not if someone is, like, toward the end of life, like, I don't want to do that. So I didn't for a very short period of time. And then all of a sudden, I got involved in my first, I think, my first year of ministry uh, as a campus pastor in Elkhart. I had, like, I don't know. I'm going to say, like, uh, 13 funerals. Like, it was just hit me upside the head. And... And I, I was like, well, after the first few, and then after I needed to go to hospice centers and talk to people, I realized that I was kind of good at this and it's not something I wanted to be good at. But it's so interesting when you're with people who are very close to meeting Jesus Oh boy, the peace of God is so present in that room. It's one some of the most beautiful experiences I've ever had have been with people like Jill right now who are eagerly anticipating the next life. And so we pray with them and we urge Jesus to either bring healing Or take them home. The question James is asking is, is there sickness among you? Is there sickness among you? Well, the answer, of course, is yes. We're in a fallen world. There is sickness. And so he tells us what to do. He tells us how believers should respond when we are sick. He says, pray in all circumstances. Pray. The other apostle, like uh, the, the apostle Paul, he like he agrees with this. He says in First Thessalonians five, he says, "Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of Christ, Jesus of God in Christ Jesus for you." So it's not just James saying, "Hey, you should pray if you're sick. You should pray uh, all the time. You should walk and pray at the same time. You should pray when you rise. You should pray when you go to sleep." Speak to the one who is in relationship with you, who wants to have continued ongoing relationship with you. Verse 15, such a prayer offered in faith. So James is now saying, okay, if you pray, and if you pray with faith, you will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well. And if you have committed any sins, you will be forgiven. Do you read that and go, he will? He will do all these things? I mean, I hope he does, but James isn't giving us an out here. James is saying he will. Now, when scripture seems to offer an unconditional uh, promise of physical healing in response to prayer of faith, it can be confusing when our experience is otherwise. It may be confusing to the extent that, that I may say, okay, well, wait a second. Did I say the right words in the right order? Like if he didn't heal me, did I say the right words in the right order? Do I need to, to say it differently? Maybe maybe uh, a different emphasis on some part. Why am I not experiencing this? And pretty soon, we're like doing things like knock on wood, superstitious things. We begin to look at prayer as a thing of like, oh, if I say it in the right order or in the right way, uh, maybe I need to say it backwards. We get real ridiculous about the efficacy of prayer. When we don't see the evidence that we're looking for in the way that we're looking for it. And sometimes we simply say, yeah, I prayed about it, didn't happen, I'm done with it. In my personal experience, uh, 22 years ago in a head-on car collision, that almost killed me. And then, uh, you know, a couple years ago, uh, dealing with cancer I would say to you that I prayed diligently for my right leg to be fully healed. I had a neighbor that came by when I was uh, still incapacitated, came by my house and she would come by and she would pray for healing, restoration, full healing, not partial healing, full healing. Most of you don't even know that my right leg is, is messed up that I have nerve damage, permanent nerve damage, that that keeps me from doing certain things, that my foot is always tingling, like it's always asleep. The circulation is not good in it. Most of you don't know that because I've figured out how to manage that, and it really doesn't bother me at all. I don't really care. It all works fine. A couple years ago, I saw this person. She said, how's your leg? And I said, well, it's really good. Like, I is it fully healed and i said no probably not she said well we got to pray for full healing it's got to be fully restored like i appreciate that i appreciate that that will to pray i love that but from for all intents and purposes in, from my perspective i've been healed i've been restored My life has been transformed. You know why? Because I'm not focused on this. I'm not focused on the fact that I had cancer. I'm not focused on that because I believe that in our circumstances, God uses all sorts of ways to accomplish his purposes and it doesn't always look like 100% physical healing. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 11, verse 1, says this. He says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. That is one of my verses. Faith is in what we cannot see. Someone can hear this and say, you're a crazy talker. What do you mean you can't see it? Well, what maybe can't be seen is what is being done inside of all of us when we step into places that require us to say, yep, I'm believing because I know a God that has come through time and time again. He has not done everything the way that I want him to do it, but that's probably a good thing because his, le- his view of my life is macro level. It's not in the minutia of all the details that I see that I get all concerned about. He knows far above all that I can think I know. So let's examine verse 15 again. We'll heal, will make well, will be forgiven. I've read this passage many times and I've been a bit confounded by it, but it's okay because scholars don't agree on the exact interpretation of the type of sickness that James is referring to, whether it's physical or whether it's spiritual. Neither do we know if the promises Uh, can be, that, that are made here can be expected immediately or later, now or eternity. I'll tell you what I'm convinced of. Even though I can't know all of that, what I'm convinced of is that we can know, what we can know is that God does not will for you or I to be unhealed in any aspect of our lives. We can know that God does not will for you and I to be unhealed in any aspect of our lives. But just like sin is part of this world, so is sickness and brokenness and pain and suffering. And just like I will continue to resist sin, I will continue to resist sickness knowing that the grace of God is sufficient for every circumstance in my life. That's what I will continue to press into. And that's where my attitude about all of this can shift and change. 1 Peter 4, Peter writes these words. He says, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed in all the world. Romans eight twenty eight. Paul writes, and we know that God causes everything to work together for good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes for them. You may resist scripture like this for a time because it doesn't align with your personal experience. Like who wants to suffer? Not me. I want to resist suffering. But I'll tell you that suffering has, has, has I was gonna say rubbed them off, but no, they've been chopped off. Like the, the corners, the rough edges of my life have been chopped off because of suffering. And I'm grateful. On this side of it, I'm incredibly grateful. So James's larger point is that we shouldn't suffer alone. So if you look at this scripture, he's calling the elders, calling the leaders, call your friends around us, right? We shouldn't suffer alone. We should pray together. We should humble ourselves and we should actually ask others to pray for us. And then we should expect that God will answer. Verse 16, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Confession, wow, that's one of our favorite things, isn't it? Don't you love confessing? Like he doesn't, James doesn't offer any details about what this should look like in practice. So if we're gathered together here this morning, should we have a confession moment where all of us get to stand up and just confess everything we've done wrong for the previous week? All of our sins for the previous week. That'd be entertaining, wouldn't it? But that's not likely what he meant. What what I believe he meant, and what he's pointing us to, is that we, together, we need to have close relationship with two or three people who we can get real vulnerable with, that we can be accountable to. We love the word accountable as well, me especially. Uh, but we can say what's true in our lives. And we can acknowledge our sin. We can pray for each other and we can receive healing as we pray for each other. The last half of the verse, six, uh, verse 16, the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Um, the King James says something like um, the, the uh, effectual and fervent. So fervent, fervent would mean like intensely passionate prayer of a righteous person availeth much. You know what? I wish, I wish, that, I, uh, I wish that we believed this. I, I wish that we believed that the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. We as church people are really good at reading scripture and going, yep, that's true, and bypassing, and just going right by it, and never actually internalizing it. Because if we believe this, then more of us would be healthy, healed, and whole. Because God listens, and he responds. And the only reason the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective is because God hears us, and he takes action. And so then James points us to the, the, what happened to Elijah in the Old Testament. He says, Elijah was as human as we are. And yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. And then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. You guys remember that story from 1 Kings? Go back and read the story of Elijah in 1 Kings. And you'll find that Elijah was as human as we are. He wasn't anybody special, except that God used him in pretty incredible ways. He had a major victory. He prayed, no rain fell. And then he prayed again after contending with priests, idolatrous priests. He had a major victory. It rained. He asked God to halt the rain, and it stopped raining. He prayed again, and it began to rain. It began to pour. And then he gets all kinds of depressed. Then all of a sudden, he is by himself. He's by himself. He says, why, why are, because Jezebel, the the king's wife, came after him, and he fled for his life. And he finds himself under a tree and he says, "I'll just let me die. Just let me die. I'm done with this. He forgot immediately what God had just done through him and he said, let me die. The whole point here is that Elijah was human as we are. His power came from God just as ours does. He prayed, God moved. That's true for us as well. We're not relying on some power that you and I have generated. We're not conjuring up magic when we ask God, We just ask God and know that he is the one who is acting on our behalf. And verse 19, let's go to that. My dear brothers and sisters, James says, if someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back. So he's he's taking us from praying for each other. So this is all tied together. We're praying for each other. And then he comes to this moment where he says, now, dear brothers and sisters, See how kind this is? My dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings the sinner back from wandering will save that person from spiritual death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. James is reminding us that you and I, we are family. We are comrades following the way of Jesus. We're doing this together. I know we all come from different places on a Sunday morning as we gather in this space But when we come together, we're family. And if someone wanders away, you can't force that person to return. But you can pray for their return. You can continue to be curious, to lean in, to love well. What we don't want to do in that moment is ostracize them. But we want to continue to engage, to continue to believe, hold hope, I've used that phrase so many times, it just sort of popped out of my mouth one day as I was talking to this couple that was in, in desperate straits. They had no hope for their relationship and I said, well, I'm going to hold hope for you because I know a God. I know a God that is hopeful. He gives me hope and he gives us restoration. So as long as you can't have hope for yourself, I'm gonna hold it for you and know that when we do that, when we come alongside people, when we speak life into them, you know that you're doing the work of God. Sometimes we don't know, well, what are we called for? What are we called to? What are we doing what we're called to do? I'm telling you, when you speak life and freedom over people, that's exactly what you're called to do. And God will work out the details from there. The whole letter of James encourages us as a Christian uh, community to pray to pray in confidence that godly wisdom, uh, because that godly wisdom has the ability to shape us in practical acts of love and mercy. When we pray and ask for wisdom, he gives it. James assures us of this, and our experience will echo that as well. We can have confidence in the power of prayer, which is the framework of this whole letter we're Starting in chapter one, if you don't have the key component of the Christian life, wisdom, you should ask for it. That's what James compels us to do. Wisdom is a key component of our lives. If you don't have it, James says, ask for it and you'll receive it. And now in chapter five, he concludes with a call to pray for endurance in suffering, for the power of healing for the sick and for mutual confession and forgiveness. Friends, this is our mandate. This is who we are called to be as followers of Jesus, to be a people of prayer and a people of action. I hope we never say, yeah, I'm just praying about it, period. We are plan A for the work of God on earth. And so we're compelled, we should be compelled to pray first, act second. Action is required on our parts. In Acts chapter three, Peter and John, so it's at the beginning of the, of the church, Peter and John are going to the temple to pray. It's like three o'clock in the afternoon, Peter and John go to the temple to pray. And here's what happens. Peter and John went to the temple to pray at three o'clock in the afternoon. As they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. A man lame from birth was carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so that he could beg from the people going into the temple. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. You might recall this story. Peter and John are fired up. They have seen Jesus resurrected from the dead, and they are preaching the word wherever they go. They're going into the temple. This beggar is sitting there, and um, I find it so interesting. Peter and John looked at him intently. It doesn't say they glanced at him and looked the other way, which we often do. I do. Glanced at him, looked the other way. Nope. They stopped, and they looked at him intently. And then Peter says, Look at me. <laughs> I love that. Peter said, Look at me. Now you have to know that someone is begging on the side of the road or at the temple gate. They're not looking up at people. You've never se- I have never seen someone begging with their head up, intently looking at people. It's always this way, shaking the, the coins. Peter looks at him and says, Look at me. And the man complied. He looked at him. This man was lame from birth. He was at the temple gate every day. Jesus had come before Peter and John. I wonder how many times Jesus walked through that gate. But the man wasn't healed even though everywhere Jesus went, he was healing people. Isn't it interesting that this guy at the gate was never healed by the words of Jesus? He was never healed as Jesus walked through. We don't know the details why. We just know it didn't happen. Weeks, months later, however long it was, between the time that Jesus would have been there and the time that he was uh, crucified, resurrected, Went to heaven, and the time that the disciples walked through, Peter and John walked through, we don't know how much time elapsed. But I have to just, you know, make a story. So it seems like that somewhere along the line, this man became receptive to the gospel. And when he looked at Peter and John, I believe that he was ready to receive. Wouldn't it be great if the work that God does in our lives would actually make us the deliverers of peace and freedom and healing to the people around us? Would you stand with me? Peter and John, they weren't looking to heal anybody that morning. But they were fired up about Jesus and the work that he was doing in and around them. They believed that the Holy Spirit had come to empower them. And empower them, he did. They brought healing to that man that day. And many people came to faith because of Their ability or their, not their ability, but the ability of the Holy Spirit to work through them to actually bring about that moment in that man's life. I want to encourage us, I want to challenge us this morning to be like Peter and John. To receive the good news and let it actually marinate in us and actually implore us to live it out in the community that we're in, wherever you are. We are, plan A, we are the people who can bring about change in our community, in our relationships. We are healers. Do you know that? Do you know that God has given you the ability, the the spiritual eyes to be healers of our community? Not all of us have the gift of healing but some of us do, what I'm saying is, we don't all have the gift of physical healing, but some of us do, and all of us have the ability to be a healing presence in every circumstance that we go into, so what I, what I often, and it's no secret, but when I come up here, I want to feel the room. I want to feel what you are experiencing, I wanna feel what the Holy Spirit is doing in the room. And I don't always get it right, but I always ask Jesus to inform me what is happening in the room. And I believe there are some of you this morning that need the oil placed on your forehead. I believe there are some of you in the room this morning that need the anointing oil on your life, that symbol of the Holy Spirit to empower you for tomorrow, the next day, the next day, the next day. There are some of you this morning who you know, you know there are people in your life that when you interact with them tomorrow, you're going to need more than what you've Usually had. This morning is about receiving prayer. And I anticipate that you will come. (laughs) No pressure. But I want you to come and be prayed for. I don't want you to miss the moment of receiving more than what you had when you came in. It doesn't have to be a big deal, and it might not be. It might simply be a prayer of blessing, but I want you to come and I want you to receive because I want you to be empowered for tomorrow. You look at the world around us, it's, we're not in a good place. So let's be the people that are in a good place, all right? We look at the world around us and we see a mess. What we want to be is people who are not messed up in here. Let's get ourselves aligned with the Spirit of God. Let's get ourselves aligned so that we don't have to go out there and get all anxious and out of sorts. But we can stand firm in our faith because our faith is all we've got in many circumstances. So let's be strong and let the Word of God permeate our very soul to our very depths. So we'll pray, and uh, and uh, the worship team will lead us as we close our time together. Father, thank you for all that you're doing in us this morning, in this space. Thank you for uh, the way that you prepared our hearts for this moment. And God, I would just pray for uh, all of us that as we consider our next steps, as we consider the... Um, the lazy way, maybe, that we've been praying, where we've prayed and said, yeah, well, now that's your deal and I'm just going to go on with my life. God, help us to be people of prayer and action. Help us to be diligent in our, in our uh, faith experience that we don't get put on the sidelines, but that we are actively engaged in opposing sickness, in opposing sin, and coming against, resisting all of that in our lives. And we trust you, Jesus, because you are the great healer. You are the great restorer of our souls. We thank you, we love you, and we're so grateful. And all God's people said, amen. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. Please rate and review us on Spotify and iTunes and join us again for next week's podcast. We love you and pray blessing and peace over you and your family.